You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Dan, I know that we've talked a little bit about the murder of, of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And how is your school or what are you doing in the wake of those tragedies? And again, many, many other tragedies um, that are unfortunately very similar, all too common. You know, I think we've already talked talked about in one of our other episodes about how I think, you know, these the spotlight that's happened on these tragedies in Black Lives Matter has caused a lot of us to go back to education and look a lot at a lot of the related issues, right? S- school disciplinary practices, police officers in school, disproportionate punishment, a lot of those things. But I think we've talked about it. We know that this goes a lot deeper than those issues. This is very system. A lot of the racism in our society is racism in our schools. And, you know, we, we have been having this conversation in my college going back further than this. We've been you know, trying to talk about um, as white colleagues what our role is in addressing racism in our college and schools. Even even in the spring semester, we started, you know, talking about doing book clubs together, and we continued that this summer. And so I think a lot of it is, is you know, white colleagues talking to each other about racism, and those can be awkward. I mean, some white people haven't talked about racism, and you know, kind of the their role or understanding of it. And it's and there's a lot of things to be said. I know that I, I certainly have a lot of, you know, things to work through and understand. And so we're we're starting with I think a lot of conversations, but then also thinking about how that translates to more equitable practices and what it means for our students. Yeah. Um have, has your school started to really contemplate that was that something you were doing prior yeah events or is this something so coming up now it's definitely been an ongoing conversation over the past couple of years it's been much more discussion about about racism and, and anti-racism and in ways that we can uh try to do better but i feel like so we did have, have a big meeting uh, at the end of the year and we we talked about doing book clubs but of course like you feel like book clubs are just i mean that's one aspect of it but that's not actually getting anything into practice right i guess having the conversations right. is vital right but it's not like, what do you do with it? How do you go forward with this? How does this like, uh, what changes do we need to make? And in our school, which is, you know, the microcosm that we kind of have uh, partially a say into. Um, so I'm looking forward to, I just talked to my, actually my department head about where we're going. Cause, and he said that, you know, he's been talking to other, other department heads and, you know, they, they do plan on, uh, on get, having ongoing conversations. But unfortunately with the summer, I feel like we hit a pause button. And I hope that doesn't stop any any momentum that this discussion, you know, should should have. Right. And I mean, these issues are not new at all. Right. right? I mean, I, I I know I know I think we've talked about before, you know, how just even school integration, um, how harmful that was for a lot of black students to be integrated into white schools, primarily where they no longer had the community support that they often had in segregated schools. And you just even think about when you study someone like Ruby Bridges, I think it's like to kind of pause and understand like what we were putting Ruby Bridges into as a society. It's like Ruby Bridges didn't have any problems. It was white educators, white students and white community members that were really 
you know, the ones that I, I, I think I'm trying to remember who recently I was reading, you know, they're talking about and repointing out that racism is a white problem, mm-hmm. for, you know, um, and it's something that we have to work on. There's a great Stokely Carmichael quote where he talks about, like, I knew that I should have, you know, be able to go anywhere in society and do everything I wanted. It wasn't me that needed reminding. It was white people that needed to know that I should be the, be able to do anything. And so I think, you know, educators, we need to keep talking about this, but also doing it like you're saying, right? Like not, not just in there, but looking at our curriculum, looking at right. other policies in our school. And a big issue we've started really trying to talk about is, is also look at, at issues around segregation in our school, both in our schools and across our schools. Cause though, you know, we, our schools have resegregated and a lot of people are very unwilling to have those conversations about how they decide their schools and what are the reasons for that. But we white flight is still, you know, mm-hmm. the reason why our schools often look like they do. One of the things that I think is important to think about is like, so, you know, you have people, you know, ideally having conversations and not just, again, not just conversation, not just conversation, but actually doing stuff. Right. But what about those who mm-hmm. are, who are, who are not, or what if your, you know, your unconscious bias is slips out in, in, in a harmful way? Like what, like, what do you do or how are you, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I, I think that that's how you approach that. Yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm sure, you know, unconscious, but also conscious. I mean, I think yeah, some, and I do, yeah. we probably have, have some colleagues who are, you know, explicitly, you know, saying things with they, which they, you know, I think a lot of racist things that are said, white people will claim that they're not racist and deny that racism, but clearly can be, can be tied to that. So, I mean, I, what do we do to address that in our colleges? Cause it's very difficult to go up to a colleague and say, Hey, you know, you need to quit with your racism. And I think we need to have some conversations about how we check each other and how we talk to each other and, and, uh, what we can learn to do that. Now we we, we typically have a, it's a guest driven show and, and I'm sure you have someone who, who will be able to chat with us a bit. Yeah, I th- we have a guest who I think is going to offer us a lot of wisdom and things to think about related to these issues. So we would like to welcome into the podcast, Dr. Kristen Duncan. Welcome. Hey, y'all. Hey. I am glad to be here to discuss this with you two. We are thrilled to have you here to discuss it with us as well. Do you mind just giving us a, a brief background of, of who you are? Who is Dr. Kristen E. Duncan? Sure. I am a former middle school teacher. I taught both seventh and eighth grade. So I, <laughs> I like to boast that that means I am incredibly patient. I, <laughs> but even, so I want to go back a little further, even though you didn't ask about like my, biography. No, I'm from Atlanta, but my parents are from what used to be a small town in Georgia. Uh, They grew up in the Jim Crow era. And so the combination of their experiences and then my experiences as a black child in Atlanta really kind of colored my lens for how I see race in the world. But yes, I'm a former middle school social studies teacher I also served as an instructional coach at an elementary school, which taught me how much incredible work elementary school teachers do in a day. Uh, I got my PhD at the University of Georgia, and now I'm an assistant professor of social studies education at Clemson University. So, Kristen, can you tell us a little bit more about some of your passions around social studies and and your connections to the field? Of course, a lot of our audience are social studies educators, and that's Michael and I's background, too. Can you tell us a little bit about your interests? Sure. I became a social studies teacher because I wanted 
kids of color to see their agency, right? I became a social studies teacher because I wanted black kids to know that they had agency. I wanted them to learn about black historical figures who had really paved the way. And when I say black historical figures, I'm sure you two know this. In school, kids usually learn about Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, and Martin Luther King. And there aren't really a whole lot of names beyond that, at least in grades K through eight. But I wanted them to know that lots of people took actions daily and that they also had that agency within them to create change. So my passions largely deal with racial justice and social studies education. And I mean, the the ways that black history is taught so poorly in the curriculum, I know is something I had to learn as a white educator. I didn't grow up, you know, I did not learn from my parents a lot about black history or much history really at all. And, you know, a lot of times our black students in schools actually do really learn black history, oftentimes at home. And it's always incredible in like my methods classes that some of our black teacher candidates, they will, you know, have these this deep knowledge of, of black history that my white teacher candidates just don't have. And it's a big step ahead because they already start to know sometimes how to correct some of the problematic narratives around the ways that Rosa Parks, even the people that are included are misrepresented and mistaught, right? Rosa Parks, as somebody who just didn't want to, you know, give up her seat and was tired as opposed to being a lifelong activist who was dedicated to the cause and pre- very prepared for the moment with a network of other activists, you know, things like that. And so, you know, I, I feel like that's, I remember at the beginning of my career, I was starting to read critical histories, but like, it took me a long time to start to learn that. And I, I'm terrified to go back and watch first year, my first year self, like how I probably didn't do, you know, those topics justice. And I'm guessing that's something that you've probably seen a lot from teachers in schools who just are not able to teach those histories. So I have seen quite a bit. Fun fact, the eighth grade Georgia studies textbook that I taught from my first year teaching, literally, I'm going to quote it, describes Rosa Parks as a tired, middle-aged seamstress. So it's hard to blame teachers for teaching things in these incorrect ways when that's what they were taught. And you get that message over and over and over and over. I didn't learn about Rosa Parks and her activism until I was in graduate school. So if you have to go to graduate school to learn that, that's really a problem. That's a huge problem. I grew up in Oklahoma, and I think the the misteaching of, of indigenous histories and indigenous nations and sovereignties was so blatant in the textbooks. And it took me as an adult, right, as a social studies education professor to really start grappling with and understanding those histories. And I still have so much learning to do. But it's sad to see when you go back and think about just the ways that the issues are even positioned. The whole narrative is so problematic and it takes so much unlearning. And to me, that was a, as a teacher, I know I did not have the knowledge or ability to teach those in anti-racist or even non-racist ways because the structures we are given as teachers are just all so problematic and so racist that it takes incredible work, which points to how systematic the, a lot of the racism is in our curriculum. Mm-hmm. So that is actually leads me into what I study. So I study black teachers and the ways black teachers talk about race in their classrooms. 
Originally, my plan was to study specifically how this happens in social studies classes. That is largely what I do. Some places have fewer black social studies teachers than others. So I kind of um, found myself studying black teachers who teach other subjects as well. But um, there's a lot of research out there about white teachers teaching race poorly. And I don't know that much more of that serves us well. So I really was interested in how black teachers go about this particularly coming into the classroom and discussions about race with a set of lived experiences that differs from the white teachers that have been studied for so long. So you have some recent publications, including a recent one in educational studies that folk that's titled, They Hate on Me, Black Teachers Interrupting Their White Colleagues' Racism. And this is part of a larger research project that you have. Can you tell us a little bit about that work specifically? Sure. So I was studying how black teachers use what I called emancipatory pedagogies to help black students navigate systems of white supremacy. So I created or I conceptualized emancipatory pedagogies based on the work of Anna Julia Cooper, George Ellis, Carter G. Woodson and W.B. Du Bois. And emancipatory pedagogies is kind of like an umbrella term. So there are lots of pedagogies that you've heard of, like culturally relevant pedagogy or culturally responsive pedagogy that will fit under that umbrella. So in emancipatory pedagogies, teachers have high expectations of their students. They make their students knowledgeable of the positive contributions of their race, and they help students develop a critical lens to examine the root causes of their oppression and develop ways to address it. So I was looking at teachers who do this to help black students navigate systems of white supremacy. I was able to study four teachers who lived or who lived and worked in a mid-sized southeastern town. They all taught in the same district and The finding that I report on in They Hate On Me is that they actually, in their work trying to help these Black students navigate all of these things, one of the things they were helping them navigate through was actually white teachers. Because you imagine that Black kids are navigating all kinds of systems, but one thing that we don't always think about is the fact that they're having to navigate how to interact with racist teachers. So that is the finding from that paper. Um, Just to give you a quick overview of the others, they make their students aware of the ubiquitous nature of racism, that, you know, it's not the shark, it's the water, it's everywhere. You're going to encounter it directly and indirectly throughout your life. Two, they encourage their students to speak back to that oppression So they either create platforms for them to do so or they encourage them to use previously existing platforms. The one of the most amazing things that I saw them do is that the third finding is that they shift in context. Right. So the of the four teachers, two were social studies, two were math. In this massive testing context that we live and work in, um, the math teachers are heavily surveilled. Right. So they couldn't always engage in these things in the ways they wanted to, because 
in this district, the superintendent very well could walk into your classroom at any given moment. So if the superintendent walked in, you need to be talking about derivatives or the unit circle or something explicitly math related. They kind of varied how they did these things depending on the context. So the U.S. government teacher could easily tie um, this kind of pedagogy to her curriculum, but the math teachers, not so much. They can do it in spurts, but there was a lot of like conversation in the hallway or after school or maybe when I go see you play your sport on the weekend. And then finally, where did they learn to do these things? Uh, spoiler alert, nobody learned how to do this in teacher education. So, yeah, that's a, a brief overview of what I found in that study. So can you tell us about some more? I mean, I think you, pro- you provide us a really nice overview of your work. Um, can you tell us like what were some of the examples of problems that students brought to teachers? So um, I have a really, <laughs> I'm going to call it a great example, even though I hate that this happened. No students have to go through this. I collected this data a few years ago. So five years ago, back when perspectives of the Black Lives Matter movement were way different than they are right now in 2020. Right. So one of my participants, Xavier, he taught seventh grade math and he had a black female student um, who was talking to him about her social studies fair project. So in her social studies class, she told her teacher, a white woman, that she wanted to study the Black Lives Matter movement. Keep in mind, this is 2015. So she wanted to study the Black Lives Matter movement. Her social studies teacher told her that she should not do that because she might offend some people. Her math teacher, Xavier, um, my participant, actually told her. So he encouraged her to study that. And he actually told her that he would supervise her project since her social studies teacher wasn't necessarily unwilling, but she definitely didn't encourage the studying of that topic. So a math teacher took on the supervision of a social studies fair project. Yeah. And it's it's interesting whose feelings are being preferenced in that story or being valued in that story. Right. If if the students being discouraged, which the very idea of discouraging a student from examining a topic like that is seems problematic. But I'm sure that wouldn't be that uncommon in a social studies classroom that a white teacher would want to avoid not only talking about it, but avoid getting in it. And you oftentimes may have, uh, are very likely to have some white teachers who have negative, you know, feelings and perspectives on Black Lives Matter. And how are they su- going to m- not even support their students, but even, you know, not do harm to their students when those topics come up. And so it's disappointing to see that she, that the student had to go to the math teacher for this. How did the social studies teacher, like, come back from that after... Xavier said, I'll take it on. I think she just let it go. So she knew that this student was working on this project and that someone else was supervising it. Like how you come back from that with the with the student as far as the relationship goes, right. I'm not sure. I I have no idea. I think as a student, I would think like, oh, this teacher doesn't see her classroom as a place for me. Right. And where I can study what I 
not only what I'm interested in, but what affects my life personally. So I don't know that you, I don't know how you come back from that, but I get the feeling that that student may have received those messages before then, because a lot of times, you know, teachers implicitly send messages of who's welcome and who's not. In these cases where black teachers had to interrupt the, their white colleagues' racism, what was that like for them? I'm sure there's a real emotional burden with having to do that work in schools. And you said that, you know, we don't really teach that in teacher prep. We don't prepare people for that. Um, what, what can we start to learn about what teachers need to know about interrupting racism in schools? So one of the things that teachers need to know is how to value other people's knowledge or knowledges, right? So one of the teachers that I studied taught U.S. government, and she talked about how this was her 12th year teaching at the time of this study. And she talked about how her um, younger white colleagues did not value her knowledge about teaching about teaching that subject, about pretty much anything. They were fresh out of university and thought that, you know, because they had attended a particular university, that they knew more than she did with her 12 years of experience. So valuing the knowledge that people bring with them is really important. Having high expectations of all students, that's seems like a bare minimum ask, but it's really important that we teach pre-service teachers to do this. Another participant, Emily, um, if I could sum Emily up in a few words, I feel like the catchphrase for her life would just be like, forget it, I'll do it myself. So she was the freshman academy leader she was the data team leader for ninth grade math. She was the head tennis coach. She helped out with the marching band. She was on the technology committee. She had like eight jobs all in the this one school. So in RTI meetings, teachers are supposed to be coming up with interventions to help students be successful. Like that's the interventions are the whole purpose, right? Like we're trying to help students be successful at what they're doing. So Emily got wind of teachers basically like vocally expressing their abysmal expectations of students in those meetings. They were saying things along the lines of like, oh, that kid's going to drop out when they turn 16 or they can't do this and they can't do that. So on top of the eight jobs she already had in the school, Emily joined the RTI team so that she could help students get actual interventions instead of teachers just taking their time to complain about students or project their poor expectations onto them. So while assuming teachers should know to have high expectations of all students sounds I'm silly that we would need to teach that, but apparently we do. Yeah, and I'm sure go, going back to our discussion earlier, one thing uh, that a lot of black teachers probably want is is white teachers who are trying to figure out answers to this work themselves, right? So that they do not have to take on the full load of responsibility for 
helping and addressing every issue related to race and culturally responsive teaching and keeping high expectations and, you know, um, disproportionate punishment that that, you know, black teachers can't take on all of these roles in their school and have satisfying careers. And so other people need to be doing this work um, seems to be one thing that I think is 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 really important. But there's a lot of education that comes from that, too, because these black teachers um, were way better at doing it. But it seems like just because they saw, listened to and valued their students was kind of the first foremost thing that seems to be a characteristic. And I find it interesting because this is also nothing new. I mean, some of the people you're citing, you know, Anna Julia Cooper, we're talking people working and doing this work 100 years ago. Um, And and. The fact our schools, it seems like a lot of our white colleagues, you know, we haven't made a lot of progress on this. It seems like it's 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 past time. So maybe this is a good time for us to keep working on it. Definitely. The t- teachers seeing their students and listening to them. One of the participants actually had one of her colleagues dis- dislike her because she did that. So her school's discipline plan involved handling discipline issues at the grade level before you go to the principal's office, right? I'm not saying all of the discipline procedures were fantastic, but the principal's office didn't want to deal with things unless they were extreme, right? So if you were having an issue with a student, the first thing you do is take them to the team leader. Well, the seventh grade team leader was one of my participants. But because she had built relationships with students and she could talk to them and she might uh, come up with something that's not necessarily punitive, one of her colleagues did not like that. And so instead of taking students to her, she was having trouble with them. She would walk right past her classroom to the principal's office. Mm. So that's that's kind of the opposite of not even black teachers having to take on extra responsibility, but not giving the respects um, in in the in the the positions that, that they have um, within the school, which is obviously an example to bypass her because it seems like a you know an act of racism that white colleagues need to be able to speak out against and identify. And her classroom was next door, so it's like you could have just taken, you know, this child next door and had her do what she does because she builds relationships with her students. But no, you waltzed right past her. So this summer, school districts are, you know, doing a lot of thinking and doing a lot of soul searching. Um, What advice do you have for for school districts or, or administrators or even classroom teachers in being better? I think... The first step to being better at anything is realizing where you are. You want to lose weight, you got to step on a scale. You want to run faster, you have to see how fast you run. So take a, I would say, take a really long look at where you are. What kind of discipline procedures do you have in place? Who's being disciplined more? What is the racial makeup of your teachers um, compared with your students? And even though state standards can be constricting, there are plenty of ways to 
make your curriculum more culturally relevant or responsive or emancipatory. So what are you working with at the moment? And then see where you want to be, which hopefully is, you know, a justice oriented kind of place and then see how you can get there. So speaking of discipline, because that's that's a huge issue, right? What are students being disciplined for? Right. We know research says that white students tend to be disciplined more for concrete things like being tardy or skipping school, whereas black students are more likely to be disciplined for vague things like being disrespectful. What does that even mean? So take a a really long, thorough look at where you are is where you have to start, because sometimes you might have problems that you don't even realize you had. I I think that's probably most, you know, white educators that we have a lot of implicit bias and and maybe and even explicit bias that we need to wrestle with. So I I appreciate that advice. And and we've got a lot of work to do, Michael. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Christy Duncan, for for chatting with us today. Thank you. You're welcome. So (laughs) so where can our (laughs) listeners find you and your work online? You can find my work on my academia.edu page. You can look me up on Google Scholar as well. You'll find links to my work there as well. Oh, and I have a ResearchGate page. So look me up. I'm around. So we will link you there. Well, of course, we'll have your articles linked in our show notes so people can find those. And we highly recommend uh, you read Dr. Duncan's articles in full. So thanks again, Dr. Duncan, for joining us. And we certainly hope to continue these discussions online and in other spaces. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, at the Visions of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun or creative in education or you just want to chat and, you know, we get it. We're bored, too. Hit us up Mm -hmm. at Visions of Ed on the Twitter we're also on Facebook, which will answer uh, messages there sometimes. And of course, if you haven't already, and please tell your friends, um, subscribe to Vision of Education Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you want us to be. You can even download us in multiple places, and that'll make us feel better. <laughs> Michael, I hope you're checking the Facebook messages, because you know uh, I, do, I try not to log on to Facebook anymore. But if you want to help us out, you can also write us a five-star review, and we will read it on the air. And we would like to thank Zach Seitz of Wiley High School and the University of North Texas for his editing skills. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Geek. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education. Oh, do I need to do the beginning part? No, no, just like do it mine. next time. No. Oh. I mean, you can. Do you want to do that over? <laughs> we'll, we'll not screw you. Oh, no, I'm fine. I thought that's what you were saying. No, no, um, I'm saying Until go. next time, this is the Visions of Wait, education. no, now you have to do it again because I'm still talking. <laughs>